0: Well, since Easter, we have been looking at resurrection stories of uh of Jesus. And there's this time frame between between the resurrection and what we call the ascension where Jesus ascends to heaven. And we've been spending time just looking at what happens there. And it's a lot of times we celebrate Easter but then when we talk about, well, what happened after Easter? Like, well, I'm not really sure. At some point, Jesus leaves again and says he's going to come back. That's what we know. And so we've really been spending the time to, to do this. And it, it really kind of started just because I was really wanting to preach Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday, something I've never done, and I was looking forward to do it. So I said, well, what would we do before that? And we just thought, like, oh, we'll just, we'll just preach other resurrection stories. Makes, makes, uh, makes sense. And so we've been doing this, and as we've been, what we've been seeing is, that hopefully, you've been seeing. We're going to see even this morning is the the confusion, the fear, the hopelessness of the disciples. You would think to yourself, "Man, if you are right in the middle of God's work, like right in the middle of God's work, and maybe even that's your, your, your it has been your prayer. God, would you work more clearly in my life? God, would you be more active in my life?" And yet what we see with the disciples, as God is, is, is clearer in his actions, as we know now, as he's more active than he's ever been in human history, is that we see the disciples with fear, hopelessness, and confusion. And you just think to yourself, like if I'm just writing the story and I'm thinking to myself, I would just think that if somebody was right in the middle of God's like epic work in human history, that there would be lots of hope, and, and no fear and lots of clarity. And yet that's not what we get. And so sometimes when I even in my own journeys and your journeys and as I talk with people, they go, man, I'm just, I'm afraid. And I just, things are very confusing right now. And I don't have a lot of hope. And I just want God to do something. And I go, well, maybe the lack of hope <laughs> in a weird way with the lack of hope the confusion and the fear is a result of God, not because of the absence of it, you know? And so this is what we've been seeing with the disciples. And so the last couple of weeks, uh, two weeks ago, and then John last week, what we saw is Jesus says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem as your hub, but I want you to go to the Galilee. And so before Jesus died... The night that he was going to be arrested and betrayed, he tells the disciples, they're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. And then I'm going to die. After I die, I'm going to resurrect. And when I do, meet me in the Galilee. And then at the day, the Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, they go to the tomb and the tomb is empty. The disciples see the empty tomb, but they see an angel. You know what the angel says? He's not here. Meet him in the Galilee. Okay, all right. So they bounce out of that, and then they, they, run, in, they, when they run into Jesus. Jesus runs into them. Like he, and so Jesus, Jesus catches them and says, oh, I, I'm here. Uh, meet me in the Galilee. And really interesting is that Jesus had set up this meeting in the Galilee prior to the, prior to like the betrayals, prior to the, um, to the desertions. And Jesus is saying, after all of this, it's going to get crazy. After you guys all scattered, deny knowing me. And after I resurrect, meet me up in the Galilee. I want to tell. And so they go to the Galilee. And in the Galilee, as we, as we saw the last two weeks, Jesus really recreates a story for them. And it's the story of the original call. The original call was when Jesus went to go get the fishermen. They were fishing all night. Didn't catch a thing. Throw your nets back out. The nets were then filled with fish. And Jesus says to them, you follow me. Come follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. And so Jesus really recreates this. They've been fishing all night. Nothing. Throw your nets down. Nets were full. Brings them into the the shore. Has fish for them. I want to remind you of the call. And there's something that God does in a new way that reminds us of something old that he's already done. There's a new work that God has done in me multiple times by reminding me of something that he's already done for me. And it's a new work. And so this is what he does for them. He restores relationship with Peter. And then we're going to find this thing as he's going to now tell you, this is what I want you to do. You see what Jesus is trying to do. The original call was come and follow me, but he's transitioning them to a now go and proclaim. Now, how do you go from a come and follow me to a now go and proclaim? And this is what one of the things that Jesus is really, I think, doing in his resurrection, like in, the, in this state. He says, now I'm, we, it was come and follow me, now I want you to go and proclaim. Because all they did for for three years was follow Jesus. Where Jesus went, they went. If Jesus said, do this, they did that. That's all that they did. And now that Jesus is gone, there's some big questions to answer. Things like, Who am I? Like, who are we now? We were like we're followers of Jesus, but He's gone. So who are we now? And not only who are we now, but like what do we do? Where are we to go? How are we to, to grow? I mean, have you ever lost, I mean, you think about sometimes this happens in a family when, when maybe the patriarch or the matriarch of the family dies. And people go, well, like, like, who are, like, who are we now? Like, what do we, what do, we do as a family? Like, how, where do we, how do we move forward? And there's, there's a lot of loss, but just not, it's not just grief in those places. What it actually is, is this grief, but it's also this lostness. It's because, like, I, I, I don't know, like, because the question was always, like, I don't know, what do you want to do? And now, and, but now they're gone. So then, what's the answer to that question? And so they're they're wrestling with questions of like, who am I? And what are we to do now? Because Jesus would, was for three years was informing them of who they were. You belong to me. I call you friends. You are my disciples. You are also servants, children of God. And so He was been like filling their identity, and then filling their, what do I do? Go and do this. Okay. Go feed the people. Okay. Go, you know, go talk to these people. Okay. That's all that they did. And then Jesus was challenging them in ways in which they would grow. But now that he's gone, he's setting these things up, which is interesting, I think, because there's a lot of like a lot of you in this room probably ask yourself the questions like, who am I? What am I to do with my life? And how am I to grow? Or if I'm feeling stuck, how do I get out of that? And the beautiful thing is that Jesus, as he's preparing them, he gives them, he informs these three things. Who you are, what you're to do, and what growth looks like. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 16. This is a very famous passage, by the way. If you're unfamiliar with it, that's okay. We're going to look at it this morning. But if you, you may be familiar with it, it's called the Great Commission. And there's a lot that's leading into this moment. This is chapter 28 verse 16 and 17 is where we'll start. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted. And so we have these 11 disciples and so we understand that this is this is just the you know this is the 12 disciples minus Judas who's no longer there because he's the betrayer. And so, so they got the 11. They've already had the meal. All of that, I think, has already happened. And then Jesus directs them to go to this mountain. And I love how Jesus is, like, he's still directing them. He said, all right, now go here. But just once again, notice how much, like they have very little information. I just want you to go to this mountain so that they do that. It is so important in the times, especially of confusion and, and, and lacking hope and fear, is to do the things that you already know to do. And so Jesus says, I want you, I'm, I'm directing you. I think a lot of times in obedience, what we want is the why of obedience. And really, God just wants us to be obedient. And that way, I think that we are, we really, truly are God's children, right? Go to the mountain, why? Just go to the mountain, why? Why? Go to the Galilee, why? Can you tell me how many times in my life I, that God said, I want you to do this, I'm like, Why? Why? Because I want the information before, like, I want to know what, I, I want the why to motivate the obedience, right? I want you to know, and, and so then I can wait, because God say, well, because this is why, and then I can weigh that and go, well, that's a pretty good why, that's a really good why. Yes, I will do it for that kind of why. But a lot of times, it's just like, why? Why? You I mean, think about your kids sometimes, maybe. Go clean your room. Why? Eat your vegetables. Why? Because they're good for you? Why? I don't know. They just are. Like, just, like, just eat them, right? Just, and, and what happens, you know, eventually is like, the why? Well, why? Why? And you do. Like, you wanna, like, I want to give you some information. By the end of the day, you're like, because I'm your parent, and I, that's what I said. And what you're saying is like, what I want you to rely on is the trust in this relationship that I'm your parent, that I am over you, and that I know better than you. So we want the why. And God says sometimes he goes, oh, I'm just going to direct you and just, just go to the place I directed you. And actually a lot of times what I've found on my own journey is actually the the understanding flows not into the obedience, but the understanding flows out of the obedience. There's a lot of times I can look into something and I go, it doesn't make any sense at all to me. And then I look back and I go, oh, and God's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. Like, <laughs> why do you think I told you that? Okay, that makes so much sense now. And so they go to the place that they're directed. And then did you catch this, that some worshipped and some doubted? Now, some people, they want to say that there's more than the 11 there. And so what it is, the, the 11 worshipped and the other people doubted. And I go, I don't think that's being honest with the text. It says that the 11 are there, some worshipped, but some doubted. go, these are the 11. And my question to you that rises, I think, from the text is, what did they doubt? So we've got a group that are worshipping, and a group that's doubting. Yeah, I don't know. What are they doubting? I go, are they doubting this idea that it's Jesus? And I go, I I don't think that's what they're doubting. Jesus has revealed himself. Are they doubting that he's resurrected? I don't think that they're doubting that. He's made it very, very clear. Then what are they doubting? Well, I think, because what we see here is that it's some were worshiping and some were doubting. In other words, the, the, the worship is on the opposite. There's worship and then doubt you go well why why are they worshipping really interesting is that like this worship because because as like if he's a really good teacher a really good rabbi a really good friend you could love him you could honor him you could respect him you could revere him you could even give your life for him You could serve him. There's a lot of things you could do if he was simply a rabbi or a teacher, a prophet, a man of God. But there's only one reason why you would worship him. You'd only worship him because you thought he was God. You see, worship is is reserved for God and for God alone. And so for them to worship him means that they are saying, we believe that you are God. Now, that's a, that's a bold claim. I mean, we're talking, about God, we're talking about God in flesh. It's one of the craziest claims, I think, of human history. But, it's, but we see it. And so for them to worship him, what they are saying with their worship, because they would only worship God, it's, it's only reserved for God, worship. What they're saying in their worship is that, Jesus, we believe. We don't get all of this. We believe that you are God. But some doubt it. What are they doubting? I, go, I think they're doubting that he's God. Is that okay? Well, the disciples—they spent three. I mean, people talk. They, they go, "I have a hard time believing that Jesus is God." I go, "Well, here's the thing: we've got we've got eleven disciples who were with Jesus in his resurrected state, and they're still having a hard time getting their mind around it." I, I, I think God gets that. I think I think uh, these disciples they would get that. But what I think is most beautiful about these disciples and their doubt that maybe jesus is god is where are they they're on the mountain in other words they've got their doubts but they're still obedient they may not they may not get it all they may i got a lot of doubts i got a lot of questions why are you here well because he said to come here and so I, I, I believe, I, one of the beautiful things I think with this, it was like some worship and some doubted, was this, uh, this idea that they came to Jesus and they were still obedient and in his presence, even with their doubts. And it's what we understand is actually that they go on to, yes, embrace Jesus as God. So in other words, they're gonna work through their doubts and I would say, uh, th- they're working through their doubts by what? By, by still being obedient to Jesus and seeking out his presence. I find so often that it's doubt that keeps us away from God. Right? I mean, if, if this was our story, or, or if you were in the place of doubts, the way that we would read the story was like, some worshipped up on the hill. Some worshipped up on the mountain. And others doubted by the sea. Now, I don't know. You going up there to worship him? No, I don't know yet. But I love the disciples. They go, well, I, I got my doubts. But he said, go up on the mountain. So I'm going to go up on the mountain. And I think it's, I think it's their obedience and, and, to, and, and seeking out the presence of Jesus that allowed them to work through said doubts. And so some worshiped, some doubted. Then Jesus speaks to them. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, all power has been given to me, all authority has been given to me, over heaven and earth. Now, it's interesting because one of the things about the Messiah is that they wanted the Messiah just to come, like Israel, it was all about Israel. The Messiah is going to restore Israel. The Messiah is going to to, to make Israel great again. It's going to put Israel back on the map and and restore its, its, its power and its prestige in the world. That's what the Messiah is going to do. And that's why Jesus kept on saying, you don't get what the Messiah's ministry is about. It's not about Israel. It's about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is going to encompass the world. In other words, the disciples, the people, the Jews at the time... They were thinking, Jesus is going to, it's going to restore Israel. And Jesus says, says, no, 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 no. Well, yes and no. Uh, I've, I've come to redeem the world. Jesus' mind was always on the world. You know, you know who else knew this? The disciples may not have known this. The great rabbis may not have known this. But do you know who knew this? Satan knew it. Do you know that when 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 after Jesus is baptized him, he goes into the temptation of the wilderness and, and Satan tempts him? Do you know one of the things he tempts him with? The world. The the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't say, if you can go back and you can read this, by the way, but he doesn't say, Satan doesn't say to Jesus, if you you bow down and you worship me, I, I will restore Israel. What he says is, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. I know you came for the world, and I will give it to you. And so Jesus says, I have got all authority in the resurrection by the cross through the grave. I've got all authority now. Now, what I want you to do, and this is what this is the therefore, right? So in other words, here's a statement. All authority has been given to me, heaven and earth. So because of that, because that is true, now go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you'll hear maybe this, 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 this passage taught or preached, and they'll say, we've got you know, multiple things to do this passage. You know, uh, make disciples, baptize people, then teach them the word. And actually, if you read it in the Greek, there's just there's one, it tells you to do one thing, which is make disciples. And I'm going to tell you two ways to make disciples: you bring them into the faith, and then you raise them up in the faith. Go make disciples. That's the imperative. That's the that's the main idea. You go just go and make disciples. And I want you to baptize them. And so you go. Why do we baptize? We're gonna have a ba- we're having a baptism next week. Special plug for that. <laughs> By the way, um, why do we do that? Was that because somebody in the 15th century thought, you know, what would be really really cool? You know, it'd be a great idea. And then for the last 500 years, 600 years, we grabbed onto that and was like, yes, yes, that's cool. Is that why we do it? No. You know why we do it? Because Jesus said 2,000 years ago, upon departure, as he was in his resurrected state, um, he said, this is what I want you to do. Go baptize people. This is a way of, of bringing them into the faith. It's interesting as you read, if you read the book of Acts, as the church is starting to move out, is that baptism and salvation is really a lot of times tied together. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus, and then be baptized. We'll even see in a few weeks when Peter preaches his sermon on Pentecost, like people come to faith. What should we do, Peter? You should come to. You should repent of your sins and be baptized. And so they're they're baptized that day. And so it's interesting uh, sometimes in the the church is what we we don't we don't really tie baptism as much to salvation as we tie it to more of a mature Christian. You know. In other words, it's probably less of an initiation into the Christian faith and more of a graduation, right? Oh, so we have achieved some things, and so, so now we should be baptized. But the, actually the scripture often, it ties it, if we think about the Christian journey, becoming a Christian and maturing in Christ, is that the baptism is actually tied intricately to this part. It's like this is, this is part of the initiation into the Christian faith. Now, I believe that you are, you, are, you are saved upon belief. Like, when you believe in Jesus, that's when you're saved. In other words, baptism is not what saves you, but it's tightly tied to it. It's this initiation. It's this public proclamation of faith. And so when people ask, like, who should be baptized? And sometimes I'll have meetings with people, as I've been doing. And, uh, should I be baptized? Like, what, like, my main question I'm trying to, to answer is, are you a Christian? And if the answer to that statement is yes, then the answer to the baptism one is yes. And if the, if, if, if the answer to that is no, then the, probably the answer to the baptism is no, unless you would like to become a Christian right now. And I've done that before. I've talked with people, and they go, oh, I'd like to be baptized. Are you a Christian? No. Oh, well, only Christians are baptized, because uh, that's, that's what happens. And so uh, would you like to become a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well then let's uh, let's walk through that then, and so, so when people ask, they go, well, 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 should I should I be baptized? I go, are you a Christian? Yes, then yes. All authority's been given to him. Now go, and I want you to baptize people, bring people into faith, have them identify with me, with the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. That's what I want you to do. You're going to lead people to me. This is the original promise, right? I'm going to teach you how to catch people now. I want you to go and I want you to catch people. I want you to baptize them. The reason why we're doing baptisms? Because people are Christians, have not been baptized. Yes. Yes. And also so that we um, we can be right and good with what God has commanded us to do. And by the way, if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, uh, we have baptisms next week, so so you, we can actually solve that for you. We can solve the the issue for you. Love to talk to you. Uh, Matthew chapter twenty eight, then verse twenty. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And so what he says is I got you got two jobs, two jobs. You have two jobs. Who are you? You're mine. You belong to me, you're still my disciples. And what am I to do with my life? He goes, You got two jobs now. I want you to go bring people into faith, and I want you to raise them up in the faith. Teach them all, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. As you may or may not know, here uh, at Northside, like we have a commitment to, especially on Sunday mornings, to preach from God's Word, His Bible. That, like we go, why? Why would we do that? Because we think it's a good idea. Well, I do think it's a good idea, uh, but more than that, one's because, because we we've been commanded to do that. You know, it's, it's not my job, and it's not our job as a church to make sure that the world knows how to parent their children. You know that you know that it's not our job, it's not my job um, as a community for people so that we make sure that people are really, really good with their finances. They know how to have good and healthy marriages. That they know how to be better managers of their time. Now that might be, that might, that, that might happen. And there's things in the scriptures that speak to those very things. But, If you were to leave here, or if you were to to come to Northside for six months, a year, and you you were better with your finances, a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better worker, you were better with your time, but you did not know the commands of God, then we have failed at what we were called to do. Teach them all of the things that I have commanded you to do. And so, when we think about all, I mean like all, which means that we talk about like teaching the full counsel of God, which means if we talk about his love, but we don't talk about his wrath, you know, we talk about only his grace, but we don't talk about his judgment. We talk about his forgiveness, but not his demands for holiness. Then I go, then we're not, we're not teaching the full counsel of God. It's not my job, it's not your job to figure what's supposed to be in there and what's embarrassing that needs to be thrown out. That's not my job, that's not your job, that's nobody's job. It's not, Jesus didn't say, go into all the world, make disciples, and then teach them the things that the culture thinks is appropriate at the time. Teach the things that people like to hear. Actually, we're warned later on, there's coming a time when people are just going to, they're going to flock to people just telling them what they want to hear. What's your job, church? Your job is to teach my full counsel. All that I've commanded you. All that I've commanded you to do. And I love this here. Then this idea of then teaching them to observe it. So I love this. It's not just teaching them, right? Teaching them to observe. In other words, it's not just giving them the information. Here's information. Here's more information. We're going to fill your heads full of information. But actually, information that has application. Here's what you should know, and here's actually how you should observe what we have just learned. So you guys who have have, have talked with me enough to know that I I love to say that, that theology always has good application. Theology, what we believe about God, always, always, always has good application. And so if all we're doing is, is filling your head with, with, with things like God is holy, and God is right, and God is good, but never teaching you, what, what, how would we observe that? What does it mean to apply this idea that God is holy? That God is right, that he is good, that he is everywhere. Teach them how to do that. When I give you my commandments, teach them to observe them. And he goes, this is your job, church. This is your job, disciples. You got two jobs. People are like, what should I do as a Christian? You got two jobs. You are to bring people into faith, and you are to raise them up in that faith. I was a youth pastor in Santa Rosa. It was a It was a part of my, I was only there for like two, two and a half years, and so it was a short tenure. um, Although I guess long tenure in the youth pastor world, but short tenure in two and a half years world. But there was some, um, there was some pressure on me from parents to do more stuff with the students. And so I was like, like, like what? And they go, well, we think, we think it would be good just to do like more activities on Friday nights. And I thought. Why? And I go well. It's just it would be good for them to 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 do this. And I go well. Like what? They go well. Okay. So there's a lot of parties on Friday nights, and it would just be good that if, if they had options. And I was like, oh, they ha- yeah, they they've got options. Like oh, well, no, we want you to provide options. I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's not what I'm called to do. I'm not called here. Now, I said this nicer at the time. Uh, <laughs> i said I, i'm not called here to keep your kids from drugs and sex that's not my job my job is to call people to faith and to raise them up in that faith and sometimes they, well, you, they could go bowling more they, uh, they could go bowling more you're right i think they could go bowling more i'm just telling you that's the i have not been called here to be an activities director I've not been called here to to take kids bowling more often. I've been called here to bring people into faith and then to raise them up in that faith. Now, sometimes that may include bowling, (laughs) to have some fun and to build relationships. But I've not been called here to protect your children. It's interesting because the same parents would come after me when they would say, "My my kid wants to quit baseball because it conflicts with small group," I was like, "Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, that's not a good thing. Okay, hold on. I I uh, let's back that up. He's thinking about going to the ministry. Like, oh, that's that's my job. That's what I do. This is what I've been called here to do. It's interesting. We 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 tend to make it more complex than it really is. Jesus says, you 'You're mine. You're my disciples.'" And what I'm go- so you have identity, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you purpose in your life. Your purpose is to bring people to faith, and then to raise them up in that faith. And you go, isn't that what we pay you for? Isn't that why we send out missionaries? Oh well, yeah, it, that's helpful. That's why you support them, but they're they're, they're not mercenaries. You know, it's like oh well, they pay we we pay them so we don't have to do it. You know, that, that's that's the mercenary. We put them in, we put them in harm's way so that for, for a cost so that we don't have to do it. Once again, not what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. So go bring people into the faith. or So go bring people into the faith. Raise them up in the faith. And if you can't do that or if that puts you in harm's way, just have a job that pays well enough so you can pay other people to do the job. Not what he says. Go... Bring people into faith and raise them up in the faith. At this point, it's really like, oh no. You're not going like, to ask me to like go and share my faith with somebody, are you? You go, well, first of all, I'm not asking you. <laughs> and interestingly enough, Jesus isn't even asking you. Jesus is commanding you. By the way, when it says, because it's go make disciples, there's not a question mark on that. Like, go make disciples? You know, it, it's actually, it's, it's in, a, it's in a, 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 a command form. So, even actually, the way this is written is, is like it's, there should be an exclamation point there like, go make disciples. And, and that's everywhere that you go. But just as I'm about to freak you out with that, I want to I calm you with something else, assure you with something else. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, all power is mine. All authority is mine. And he says, I'm with you everywhere you go. In other words, I'm sending you out but just know I've got the, both the power and the presence that you need. And I'm doing this all, like, so I'm sending you out, and this is your job to figure it out. He goes, no, 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 I'm sending you out, but I'm also sending you out with both my power and my presence. In other words, you don't go alone. When I first got into preaching, because I had been affected by, by really powerful preaching, there was a pressure, I felt a pressure every time I preached to, to create a moment, a moment. Like people are coming in, I've got to like say the right thing, say it in the right way, use the right text, use the right illustration, release at the right time, all of this stuff. And if I can do that well enough and good enough and pointed enough, then people will come to faith. Early in ministry, I was at a camp, not one that I was speaking at, but one I was just a cabin leader at. And this, this guy, his name was Glenn, he came to faith. And so afterwards, I knew, that he, I knew that he raised his hand and came to faith. And so we had small group right after that, like right after that. I'm just coming into ministry, I'm like, oh, I want to know. Like, what was it? Like, what was that, what was that moment that, what was said, what was done, what was sung? What was the illustration? What's the what was what, the tipping point? And so I asked Glenn, as we as we had prayed together, and I asked him that night, I said, Glenn, I said, what? Like, why tonight, man? Like out of all of the nights. Like, what was it tonight? And I was expecting him to say something like, ah, oh, man, this that, that illustration, that passage. Even, I wasn't expecting I was expecting something like, God spoke to me. None of that. His response was, I was just waiting for an opportunity. I thought, whoa. Just waiting for an opportunity? He goes, mm-hmm. I thought, I thought to myself later, as, as, as I reflected on that conversation, I thought to myself, you know, here's a crazy thing. That speaker that night, he could have got up and said, You didn't have to pray. He goes, is there anybody here that would like to give their life to Jesus this morning, tonight? And they would have raised their hand. Like Grelin would have raised his hand, so that would come in. You see, I thought I had to create, create to conjure up the power in the presence of God. And what Jesus says is, no, 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 you don't, that's not your job. That's my job. And I do that really, really, really well. Your job is to go call people to faith and then to raise them up in that faith. My job is, to, to, is to, 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 to have the power and to give you the presence to accomplish all of that. And if the power isn't there and the presence isn't there, then we couldn't call people to faith or raise them up in it. And so my question to you, which may be an obvious one, is that what you're doing? I mean, is that what you're doing in your, your job? your family, your neighborhood, and this church calling people to faith and then raising them up in that faith. I mean, hear me out of this, there is no greater thing that you can give your life to. People go like, "Well, well what about like, well what about me?" Then how will I grow? I've been doing ministry now for years, calling people to faith, raising them up in the faith. The the most challenging, the most growth I've I've experienced is in that journey. And if all my journey was ever about was to make sure that I was stronger, it wouldn't be even possible. The growth comes because you're challenging other people. I remember when I first got called into ministry and I started doing junior high and high school ministry at this little church in Orangevale, there were some things I was just like, man, I'm in ministry now. I got, there's some things I've got to stop. I can't, I can't be doing this and then saying this on a Sunday morning. And so even that, there's an accountability of calling people and then raising them up that challenged my own faith. We make it more complicated than it is just to be calling people to faith and then raising them up in them. And then are you doing that? It's interesting, uh, George Barna. I don't know who like George Barna is, but he does a lot of research in churches, and so he loves to research Christians. And that's kind of what he does, and a lot of times, sometimes his his uh, his findings or his it, it can be a little bit controversial. But interestingly enough, recently he did a study, and it was about about faith and, and evangelism, and these sorts of things. And um, it may I mean you may have even seen some articles on this, but uh, one of the things that he his poll that came out was that he was talking to practicing Christians. So this isn't like non-Christian Christians. These are people that identify as Christians and are practicing Christians. And the question was, um, do you think it's wrong to share your faith with someone of another faith and expect them to embrace (coughs) your faith? And the big controversy was that 47% of millennials said, yes, I believe that's morally wrong. You go, Whoa. There's a more, We have a, actually, what Jesus says, we have actually have a moral obligation. And so the big controversy was that 47% of millennials, they don't share their faith because they would say they believe it's morally wrong to basically share your faith with someone of another faith expecting that they would embrace your faith. To which some of you in this room, there's there's millennials in this room, there's non-millennials in this room. If you're a non-millennial, you'll go, see, that's the problem, Josh. That's the problem. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) But I thought about that statistic. I really, as I was preparing for this, I thought, well, (laughs) because some of you in this room, like you would say, like, yeah, I, I, I don't think that's morally wrong. I think that's a moral obligation. But I go, here's the challenge for me was like, well, well, which one's more inconsistent, though? The group that says it's morally wrong and I don't do it, or the group that says it's morally obligated, I just don't do it? (laughs) And I thought, everyone wants to think this is a condemnation on millennials. I think this is a condemnation on everybody else. Because everyone else is like, it's morally, it's a moral obligation. Is it morally wrong? Absolutely, it's not morally wrong. Are you doing it? No. (laughs) Well, why not? Bring people to faith. Raise them up in the faith. And you go with the power and the presence of Jesus. He's not going to send you anywhere he's not already. He's already in the DR. You know? We've got, by the way, John and Lori who are, are missionaries in Columbia right here in the back. He's, he's already in Columbia. He's already in your office. He's already working. His power, his presence is already working. in Your office, your family, your neighborhoods. And what he's doing, he's asking you, is inviting you in to share with him in the ministry the mission of God that's been going on. For, for for 2,000 years, well, before, long before 2,000 years, but since this commandment, 2,000 years. And he wants you to play a part. And so if you don't know where to start, this is where you start. You ask, well, if you're not a Christian, you become a Christian. If you are a Christian, you start with a prayer of like, Jesus, I know that you're before me. I know you've got your power and your presence. And I know you've called me to bring people to faith and to raise them up in the faith. I don't know how to do that, but I want to. Would you give me opportunities to seek out in which I can do that? And can I tell you, I've prayed that prayer multiple times. I know people have prayed that prayer, prayer prayers like that. And all of a sudden, people at work, people in their office, people in their families are like, have some questions about Jesus. Or they'll be asking, like, I'm really struggling with this. You are like, oh here's the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, and then boom. Jesus has invited you, he has commanded you, as his disciple, to bring in more disciples into the faith and to raise them up. But not on your own, with his power and his presence. Let's pray. Jesus we thank you for your word we thank you for your challenge we thank you that you have given us a challenge Unfortunately I know God that in many of places we have turned faith into comfort that your greatest we, we maybe wouldn't say it this way but your greatest your greatest good is that we would be comfortable that your mission is that we would be secure financially relationally maybe, but yet your, your mission is that was has been for the world. It's always been for the world. May that be our story. May you give us opportunities. May we seek out opportunities to bring people into faith and then to raise them up in that faith. I pray that your, your power and your presence would go before us continually, drawing us into relationships, into conversations, into other challenges of challenging people to faith, letting them know that you love them, that you have died for them, that you are looking to restore them, to give them life where there is death. May we be the proclaimers. May we proclaim your gospel. May we not get sidetracked on buildings and, and, and finances and, 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 and who knows whatever, whatever else. May we just simply call people to faith and raise them up in faith. God, for those that are here that are not Christians this morning, I pray this morning that you would call them to faith. that this morning this would be a moment of faith, that they trust in you as Lord. And Jesus, that they ask you for the forgiveness of sins and that we may baptize them in the very near future. We thank you for giving us purpose in a world that is so longing and wrestling with identity and purpose. We thank you that you've given us both. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. Amen.